Welcome to the Events Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Taylor, and each week I talk with event professionals and entrepreneurs about how they plan, promote, and run their events. We help you build your events empire by growing your business using live events. Whether you're running community meetups or conferences, trade shows, and other events, we focus on finding actionable tips that you can use straight away. We want you to get more attendees, produce epic events, make more money, and most importantly, to do it all with no stress. This podcast is sponsored by EventsFrame. Check it out over at eventsframe.com. Make the switch from Eventbrite today to our amazing ticketing and registration system with no ticket fees. Most ticketing systems charge you a minimum of 3% of the ticket price, but we just have a flat, low fee with no ticket fees and no restrictions. There's literally no system out there that is cheaper than EventsFrame. It's also super easy to use and you can embed your tickets in your website or you can use our own website builder, which is really simple. We have amazing options to apply all kinds of discounts on all the features you'd expect from a much more expensive system like QR code check-in. Go to eventsframe.com, that's E-V-E-N-T-S-F-R-A-M-E.com for a free, no-risk, one-month trial. Hello and welcome to the Events Podcast. So we've had a a brief hiatus in the podcast just the last two weeks. It's been quite a a busy time, really. I'm actually out in Asia now. I think I mentioned this on the last episode. So I've got a lot happening in Asia with the business uh, in uh, September, October. So I decided to bring my family, my wife and young son, out to Asia, which has been a great experience, but it's been super hectic, as as you can imagine, with a a 15-month-old in Asia. But it's been great. So just to catch you up, uh, we came out, we're basing ourselves in Bangkok in Thailand. We've got a Bangkok event coming up this weekend. The guy I work with in Thailand, James, uh, he's a partner on EventsFrame and and Apps Events. He lives in Bangkok. So we've got a lot going on here. And I've also got things happening in Philippines, in Nepal and Hong Kong. So a lot going on, so a few side trips. So we we arrived in Bangkok, pretty uneventful flight. We came on uh, Air France, which was great. They gave us the the baby bassinet, which was really nice. You know, the bed at the front of the cabin, even though he was a bit too big, they still let him him do it. I think Air France is pretty flexible. So we got here and what I did is I booked uh, an Airbnb for two months. Uh, I'm not a fan of hotels for long stays and uh, I think I mentioned before I'm a huge Airbnb fan and you can get some good deals. Most places offer you know, a 30% discount if you book for a month or more and you can always negotiate. I always negotiate a bit of a better discount. A little tip there, if you always email the host and ask for a discount, you'll generally get something. So we've got a nice two-bedroom apartment. It's close to Ceylon in central Bangkok, so that's where we've been based. Uh, and actually, I've been spending a lot of time at the British Club Bangkok. I'm actually recording this podcast in the British Club. They have a great co-working space. Um, great stuff for the kids. They've got playgrounds, they've got kids' play areas, pools, um, sports facilities. I've been playing squash here quite a bit. Uh, and a nice old clubhouse. R- really good. I, I joined I joined the club quite a while ago, mostly for the reciprocal memberships. It's interesting. you know, These clubs have, have reciprocal clubs all around the world. And so... I've been using some of the clubs in the UK uh, when I go there, even though I can't, I'm, I'm a country member, they call it in the Bangkok club, which means it's cheaper because I don't live in Bangkok, you know, you get a reduced price membership. So it's kind of a bit of a travel hack. If people are interested, I can talk more about it. Joining these clubs means you get, you know, reciprocal clubs and often they have really cheap accommodation. You know, you can get what's basically like a four or five star hotel in London for, you know, less than hundred pounds sometimes, which, which is, which is a great deal. So being based here, 
So the first event we ran was in Kathmandu. So uh, I left the family in Thailand and I flew to Nepal with, with James Sayer. Um, really amazing experience. I haven't been to, I've been to Nepal three times trekking and rafting and stuff, but a long time ago, more than 20 years. So it was great to go back. Not that much has changed, which is, I guess, kind of a sad thing in terms of the development of Nepal. I mean, the traffic's terrible, the roads are terrible. Uh, people are still amazing, you know, the people are great. Uh, we ran an event at the Lincoln School, um, a fantastic uh, guy called Derek Harwell, who's been on the podcast, um, who's a tech director there. So it was great. Really, you know, when, when you get, you know, when you run an event and you get a bunch of super motivated people, it just makes it all worthwhile. And that's what they were like, you know, everyone at the school wanted to learn. So, so we did it. It was, you know, great, great two-day event. Uh, we had a networking party the school hosted on the roof. The school's um, uh, got a great roof where you can see some of the, you know, you can see one of the Himalayas. Um, you can see the temple. I've forgotten the name of it. They, it's, people call it the monkey temple, although I gather you're not supposed to say that, and some other ones. So really, really great event. Uh, finished on Sunday. Uh, we couldn't get a flight out on Sunday, so we stayed over, and we had a bit of a, a night out on, on the Sunday, kind of an early night out. We watched, obviously, Rugby World Cup was on, and we went around Tamil. Tamil is the backpacker district where I used to stay in the old days, so it was kind of nice to have a look at it uh, and see uh, and see it. I mean, just, just a fascinating place to visit. And then on, uh, on the Monday when we left, we went to the Royal Palace. I mean, people might know the story, but um, the last time I was, in, I was in Nepal, there was a monarchy, but there was a crazy situation where the crown prince basically massacred uh, a lot of the royal family, pretty much everyone, including the king and queen and all heirs to the throne, um, and died himself. Although there's, there's various conspiracy theories saying he didn't do it, but but now you can actually go and view the palace, which is kind of a weird palace built in the 60s and 70s. A lot of crazy, you know, stuffed tigers and things, very dated and kind of creepy looking in some ways, you know, but, but, but fascinating. So if you go to Nepal, uh, to Kathmandu, I'd highly recommend visiting the palace. So that was great, you know, I mean, I love it when you can combine uh, running an event with seeing a cool place, which is what happened. Um, so we did that, came back to Bangkok, I've uh, been here since we had a few days on the, on the beach, we went down to Hua Hin. It's like two hours from Bangkok. You know, because you know, I'm kind of working on the weekends pretty much all the time. This whole trip, there's all events on the weekends, so I'm, I'm trying to take a couple of days off in between, kind of living a reverse life. And then this weekend, we have a Bangkok summit. Um, this is interesting. It's uh, a, no, it's actually the longest running event we've, we've been running. Bangkok summit, we started it in 2012, so it's now 2019. Uh, interesting story a guy called Wayne guy came to our first ever Prague summit and he was from Bangkok and he was like let's run the event in my school in Bangkok and I'm like cool Bangkok that'd be amazing you know at the time I'd, I'd only run one conference uh, and he said look can I just take all the signs and stuff to Bangkok and I'm like yeah I guess so so he disappeared off on the plane took all my signs I had no agreement with him nothing we just had a chat in a bar and he's like yeah let's do this and I'm like this guy's got all my signs and equipment and, and we did we did an amazing event uh, that was at the American School Bangkok it then moved to Thai Chinese International School, which is where we're running now. Uh, and been great, like really like an amazing adventure. I haven't been here for a few years for the summit, so it's great to come. Uh, I'm presenting myself. Um, you know, this is good because James Sayer is actually running the event, so I'm not having to coordinate everything. Um, but, you know, what was good was I went to one of our American events last month. Uh, Alison Mollica runs the U.S., and I saw a lot of really good best practice she was doing, which I've kind of brought over here and saying, James, hey, you know, so... That's, a, that's the thing, if you've got like a global organization or at least different teams, you, you know, I think as a, as, a, as a leader of a company, 
you should go to some of these events because you can always take different things from different events and use them elsewhere. So, you know, she's got some great stuff. She does a quiz. It's called a Kahoot quiz at the end of the end of the first day, and we're going to do that. So, Bangkok Summit coming up. We've got a networking party on Saturday. We've got a reception at the British Club on, on Sunday. Should, should be fantastic. And then on with the trip. We're going to Hong Kong on Monday. Uh, obviously, hopefully, the situation there isn't too isn't too crazy. Um, but I'm going to meet a few people. Um, Hong Kong's a, it's my favorite city in Asia. I've been going there for years, and uh, a lot of people that I want to meet. So it's really to meet people. And of course, I want to take my son to Disneyland, which you know, even though he's young, he might just about remember it. So Hong Kong next, then back to Bangkok. So I'm going to give you another Asian update on the next episode. But that's all for now. And I want to jump into the interview. Um, I was actually interviewed on a podcast by called the Anomalous Anomalous, uh, sorry, Educator Podcast. Really great podcast. And it's kind of focused on teachers, but I think there's a lot of information here for everyone. It's focused a lot on general entrepreneurship, especially for anyone who might want to run courses or online courses or in-person courses. And I get to like how to use Google tools, free Google tools to run courses. So I think there's a lot of useful content there. Guy is called Ray Blackney, fascinating guy, American guy who was born in Cebu, where the Apps Events team is located. So I think it was an interesting interview and look forward to catch up with you all again soon. Any comments, please email me dan at appsevents.com, D-A-N at appsevents.com, or drop me a comment. I always love to hear from any listeners of a podcast, and we read and answer to every single email. All the best, and on to the interview. Hey there, Anomalies. Welcome to another ed episode of the Anomalous Educator Podcast. I'm here today with Dan Taylor, the CEO of App Events. How are you doing, Dan? Fantastic. Actually, just a small thing is Apps Events. Everybody Apps gets it wrong. Events. I'm, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a genius at naming companies really badly because <laughs> I get Events, apps, events. Yeah, but it's actually apps, events. Apps, events. It will be in the show notes, and I will. I promise to spell it correctly when I put it there. Yeah, it's it's my fault. I never pick easy. I never ever pick good names for companies. I always. I'm terrible. Well, that's actually an interesting point. I agree with you. When I start companies, I usually use the first name that comes to mind because I see so many people kind of get stuck up on the name and they never get past that. What What are your thoughts on that? Kind of when you're picking a name, do you just that sounds good and go with it, or how do you do that? I, I, yeah, like I said, I'm probably not the right person to ask. I mean, I, you know, we've also got a software company for, uh, for ticketing, and that's called Events Frame. Everybody gets that wrong. They call it Event Frame. Uh, yeah, I don't know. My, my first company was, was a, a consultancy and recruitment agency, and we called it Dunross. And that was named after a character in a book I really liked called Noble House about this guy in Hong Kong. Of so course, Taipan, Noble, Noble House, the, all, that whole series. I've read every single one. Oh, see, it's my favorite book in the world. So, yeah, I, I, um, that, Ian Dunn Ross is kind of the lead character, as you know, in Noble House. And um, I kind of had it in my mind I'd like to use his name <laughs> somewhere, and I did. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think you can overthink it with names. You know, you can overthink it. You, you can change it as you go along if you want to anyway. It's not the end of the world. Perfect. So that's advice for any teacher out there who's looking to start online. Just kind of go with the first one you can, that pops into your mind. You can always actually change names later. So it's not really kind of this commitment, especially in the online space, unless you're a big sure. company, it's very easy to change the names. So you alluded exactly. to this a little bit, but you've run multiple companies and a lot of yeah. them are in the education space now and have been in the education space for a while. But in my research, I found out that's not how you started off. You weren't starting off as an education entrepreneur. No, not at all, not at all. So could you tell us a little bit about that journey, kind of where you started off and how you ended up where you are now? Yeah, I, I studied engineering uh, at the University of Aberdeen in Scotland. And um, 
I traveled around the world for a year and a half like people do. And I, I ended up, I, I got into IT. I wasn't really sure what to do. And I was kind of fairly technical. So I figured like, you know, a lot of jobs in IT. So um, I worked for a bank in, in, uh, in the UK uh, and then managed to get into the system called SAP just because they were implementing the system. It's a big German system that big companies use for everything from accounting to inventory. I became a specialist in the system uh, and then went to work for Deloitte as a consultant. I became an SAP specialist with Deloitte. And then went freelancing, you know, so I went, I went as a freelancer, I figured out I could just charge my own time as opposed to, you know, taking a full-time salary and Deloitte taking most of the money. Uh, and I did that. And that was kind of my, that was kind of my, my uh, background before I got into entrepreneurship. And from that, how did you get into educational entrepreneurship? Because that wasn't well, straight away either, was it? No, it wasn't. So I started another company, which we were talking about earlier. It, it was a, um, a consultancy and recruitment company based in Prague uh, with, with a friend of mine. And I was, you know, after a while, I, I hated it, honestly. I, I didn't like the recruitment world. It was just a lot of work and a lot of sales. And, and I, I, you know, I, I had to do all the sales because my business partner couldn't, couldn't really sell, I mean, which was a good thing. <laughs> then we, I ended up selling my share of the company to, to, to the manager. And a friend of mine who I used to work for in my consulting days went to work for Google. Uh, and he was like, Dan, take a look at Google. You know, it's uh, Google Apps. It's now G Suite. It was Google Apps said. It, was, it wasn't as free for schools. And he's like, it's amazing. It's going to go crazy. You know, Microsoft's charging for their stuff. Google does a lot more. So I really got into it. I, actually, I missed one thing. I'd done a bit of education consulting at Deloitte. I'd done a few, a few projects with universities. Um, but uh, I, I just felt amazing. I just got into it. You know, I started working with schools. I had some friends in Prague at the International School of Prague. I wanted to start helping them. And I just got into it full time. And honestly, now I love, I love the education world. You know, like I'm, uh, I love working with teachers. I've even st studied um, PGCEI. I'm currently studying PGCEI in education. So I, I, I just love the world. But it, it was really an accident. Just a friend went to work for Google. What specifically do you love about the education world? Kind of going from the engineering to education in a lot of ways is a big leap as far as, you know, the way things work. What is it about the education world that attracted you? I like working with teachers, not all of them, obviously, you know, like anything, you know, but I've got a lot of friends now who, who are teachers, especially in the international school sector where they're kind of very internationally minded kind of people. I get on very well with them. I like that. I like that, like making money is not just the bottom line. I mean, obviously, you know, I want to get paid and, and we've got, you know, I've got a family to support and everything, but, but, you know, when you're working for a company, it's, you know, obviously the company wants to make money. When you're working with schools, there's other priorities. You now I like the fact that it's, you know, um, you know, education and, and giving children a good education is kind of the end products of, of any work you do, which, which I like. Do you have any stories specifically? Because you go into these schools and you introduce them to G Suite, right? I believe that's what they call us. You say they keep changing their name. Yeah. Okay. So uh, sometimes, yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes, I mean, sometimes we do. Sometimes they contact us and they're already using G Suite and we might run a conference or a certification event. But yeah, all, all kinds of things relating to it. What kind of things do people use, do the schools use G Suite for these days? So the core G Suite is, um, I guess, you know, Gmail, you probably use Gmail already, mm -hmm. Gmail, Google Drive and Docs. So kind of the core of it is, you know, um, storing all your files on Google Drive, getting rid of your servers often and, and running your email system. There's then a bunch of other things. Google has a tool called Google Classroom, which is a learning management system, really simple, but very flexible. So teachers can put their class like you could even use it, I guess, in your language schools. Teachers put their class in Google Classroom. They can share documents. They can create quizzes and tests within Classroom. They can share material, grading, all kinds of things. And you can integrate it with other systems. So Google Classroom is, is, is a huge, huge thing that as, as well. And then nice. there's a few, there's tons of other stuff. I mean, YouTube, using YouTube in education, using 
Google Maps and Earth uh, in terms of geography teaching and economics and different things. Um, you know, Android teaching, Android coding of development, Android apps. So there's, there's so much you can do, you know? Nice. Well, and we'll dig deep into that in the second part of the interview. So you're going into the schools and either helping them take more advantage of the existing tools or teaching them how to use the tools from scratch. What's the more common scenario for you? It's more about typically they're already using, I mean, everything, you know, we do everything, you know, from complete beginners to super advanced, but, but typically it's focusing on not necessarily just how to use the tools, but how to use the tools in a school context. So how do you use Google classroom and drive in the classroom? You know, we're, we're working with classroom teachers, number one, how do you actually use this to run a class? Uh, to, to, to save time, to do your marking. And then with school administrators, you know, how do you use Google Drive in the back office? How does school leadership use it? So it's more like the practical application of Google in, in a school environment is what we focus on. Just to step in here quickly to mention our sponsor, EventsFrame, a project I'm co-founder of. And I want to mention our integrations, which we believe are the best available. Firstly, payment integrations. You can connect any payment gateway, such as Stripe, PayPal, on Braintree, or even bank account or take cash. You can connect everything to EventsFrame. We also have the best marketing integrations out there with every email marketing system, including MailChimp, Zapier, Infusionsoft, Aweber, Drip. And we've got deep integrations with all the social media platforms like Facebook, Google, and Twitter. We've got thousands of events live on EventsFrame right now, ranging from small community meetups to huge trade shows and conferences. Check it out over at eventsframe.com. That's E-V-E-N-T-S-F-R-A-M-E.com. And now, back to the interview. Nice. And what, what's the biggest challenge you've been kind of seeing schools and teachers face when adapting this, to this technology? It changes. I think, I think, you know, a lot of, especially older teachers, if they've grown up in kind of a, the desktop world, they use Microsoft, um, they're used to a kind of clunky desktop system there. They're not used to um, moving to the web, you know. I mean, people like us, it's just that we've been doing it for a long time and it's just normal, but, but teachers, a lot of them haven't. And secondly, I think just the nature of cloud computing, like everything changes every month. You log on and the screen looks different. You know, it never stays the same. I think people find that hard. Um, you know, but it, it's changing. I mean, like, you know, you've got a whole bunch of, of kids growing up now. Kids, like, this has been around for more than, you know, since 2006. So you've got kids now who've grown up and in high school, they've used Google, they've used it at university. They don't even, they've never even used Microsoft Word, you know, so it's changing. <laughs> yeah, you're making me feel old then, right? Yeah. Because I, I don't think I even had my first email until I was in college, if I'm remembering correctly. So Yeah, I was, I was after, I was working at my job, first job, I got my first email address. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I still used hot, Hotmail. I, I might still have that thing around somewhere. I have an old Hotmail email address. I had a Hotmail account as well, yeah. So I, I probably still got it as well. Yeah. So what do you see for the future of this industry? Kind of do you, which direction do you see it going? Because you've been in it now for quite a few, quite a few years, right? Yeah. I mean, I started apps events about 10 years ago and we now do over 300 training events a year. We have teams wow. in every continent. I, I, I mean, I think Google, like it's been a huge growth curve for Google in, in schools. You know, I think it's like leveling off. I think it can't go up forever, especially in the U S where like, I think 70 or 80% of schools use Chromebooks. That's the other thing I haven't mentioned, Chromebooks. Mm -hmm. You know, laptops that run Google's operating system, loads of schools use this and we work with that as well. But I think it's leveling off in the US. I think the rest of the world, it's, it's going up a lot in Asia. Africa's almost nothing, so that's got a lot to go. South America, Europe. I, you know, I think the real growth in Google, honestly, is going to be in business in G Suite because it's, it's you know, a lot of SMEs, small companies uses Google and G Suite, but mm -hmm. now medium, large-sized companies, a lot of them are moving. And I, I was in a... 
Google have an annual cloud conference in San Francisco and I was there, I was there earlier in the year and the focus was all about business, you know? So I think that's going to be huge. There's a lot of opportunities for companies around Google in business right now. So that's, you think that Google's going to start putting a lot more resources into the business part of it than the education yeah. part? Yeah, they are. I mean, I think education will stay the same, you know? I mean, the education team's fairly small within Google, you know, because they, well, they, they make, Google make money now from selling Chromebooks, but before pre-Chromebooks, there wasn't really any money in, in, in G Suite for education. So I think it'll stay the same. Uh, I think they're focusing on a lot of key accounts and, and certain countries, you know, the countries change, you know, Google has different focus, but it's going to increase. Um, I think, like I said, in education, the growth is going to be outside the U.S. I think the U.S. is, is pretty much, there's not much, it's going to slow the growth, you know, but it, the rest of the world is, is a huge opportunity. So they've reached kind of saturation point in the United States. And you say Asia is really kind of where the boom is right now. Yeah, Asia, Asia, Europe. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Latin America and, and, and Africa are still small markets, but, but they're growing as well, you know. Why are they so small in Latin America and Africa? What's kind of, what's keeping the penetration from being bigger? Um, I think it's money. I think especially Africa, you know, schools don't have that much money. Um, they don't even have an IT kind of infrastructure or anything. Uh, I mean, Google's a huge advantage for these guys because it's free, it's cloud-based, you know, and, and if you have a, it works on any device. Because, you know, students can bring their phones if they have them. But I, I think it's literally just uh, the money in the education system um, to, to kind of, you know, I mean, like I say, it's free, but still you need to think about having an infrastructure. You need a good internet connection. You've got to think about some money for devices and stuff. Okay. So hopefully we'll, that'll fix. I was, for those who've listened to the show for a long time, I was a volunteer in an organization called the Peace Corps, which is where they send yeah. you overseas for two years sure. to work with international communities. And there's a lot of Peace Corps volunteers in Africa working in the education field. Yeah. So I was kind of curious as to, you know, what some of the challenges they would face over there are. I, I yeah, was in Latin America myself. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I was, yeah. We did a few events in Africa, Senegal, Tanzania, South Africa, um, Nigeria, somewhere else, Egypt. But it, it's hard, you know. I mean, the internet, like just having a good internet connection is, is, is mm -hmm. like you know, tough to get a lot of places. So hopefully, I think Google's working on those hot air balloons, right? Which are supposed to get yeah, like wireless yeah. internet. And also, you know, like the thing about G Suite is like it works pretty well on like a regular 3G mobile. And, and so as, mo as you get more mobile penetration, you can run a lot of this just using, using mobiles. If you have a country where they've got a good all-you-can-eat all data plan, you know, people can do it. Nice, nice. Well, now that we've talked about where Google is and where Google education is, after the break, we're going to come back and talk with Dan about some more specifics about how Google can be used in the classroom, online, and for people who maybe even want to start their own online business, teachers who want to start their own online business. So we'll be right back after the break with Dan. And we're back with Dan Taylor, the CEO of Apps Events. Got I it. got the yes this time, right? So got it. If you listen to the first part, we talked about all the really cool things that Google is doing in the education space and how accessible it is to everybody out there. Now I want to dig in a little deeper with Dan and kind of talk about some of the specifics of what kind of tools there are and how they can be used. Dan alluded to some of these in the first part of the interview, but let's, I'd like to kind of dig in a little bit deeper. So we're all familiar with the tools, for example, the email tool. I'm sure I know from my businesses and we track this kind of thing, 60% of the people who open our emails open it from their gmail account or so but what other yeah. tools are there and if you could actually describe a little what each tool is you and i are in the it field so we we sometimes assume everybody knows like you know google drive what it can what what it's for but not everybody does so if you'd mind kind of yeah, giving yeah, us a quick sure. overview i mean i think i think for, for teachers in terms of teachers who are looking to do 
training, online training or in-person training, uh, I think there's two key things that, that they can find that are really useful. First one is Google Classroom. We mentioned it earlier in the interview, Google Classroom. So um, by the way, schools, if anyone in this works for a school and they haven't got G Suite, you can apply. Uh, you can even contact me directly. I can help you do it. No, no charge or anything. Uh, you, I'll, I'm sure my email will be on the podcast, but you, you can apply and get G Suite for free for your school. Um, it's only free for schools. If you're a business, you know, you have to buy a regular, regular license, but it's $50 per user per year. Um, now, if you want to do some teaching on your own, you could just buy a one user license and you could get Google Classroom, which is a really great tool. Like I said, it, it allows you to create, let's say you're teaching an, an online class on any topic, you know, and you've got some students, you can put links to all your course material there. You can put tests in there. You can manage all your, you know, all your users and you can add any user with a Gmail account. So they don't have to be on your, you know, you, you can buy a one user account and you can add all your teach, all your customers, you know, your students on there with a Gmail account and you can run your whole class through there, you know? So I would say that's the first thing is, is, is Google Classroom. If you're running any kind of training, uh, I think everyone should be using it, if, you know, whether it's asynchronous, whether it's live training. Mm -hmm. uh, and the second thing is, is YouTube, you know? If you're recording lessons, uh, you know, you can record, you, know, you can use YouTube Live to, to record, you can stream live. Um, you can add it to Google Classroom as well. So I think, you know, everyone knows about YouTube. You don't need me to tell anyone about that, but I think it's, it's, a, it's a tool that, you know, you should, if you're giving online training, you should record all your training. I think it's a given. I mean, you're, you're the, the repurposing content expert, so you know this, but I think, I think YouTube, you know, is, is, is simple, but I think that's the main tool along with Classroom that, that teachers should be using. So that brings up a question that I know a lot of teachers have. What about privacy? For example, a lot of teachers are concerned when you have younger students who are under 18, even having their email address somewhere can be a risk because you know, they're, they're worried about hackers getting contact information of younger children. What does Google do to kind of support privacy in the Google Classroom? If you're talking about G Suite in the school, there's loads of stuff. I mean, for example, I was just running an admin course about this recently in, in Seattle. Like um, you, can, you can create, it's called sub-organizations and you can restrict permissions for different age groups. So a lot of schools, for example, they'll say lower age grades, you can only email internally. You restrict outbound or, in, or inbound email. Uh, and then even for older students, you can do a lot of keyword filtering, a lot of safety filtering. So you've got really granular security, but uh, at a basic level, you know, you can just um, restrict outbound and even whitelist, you can whitelist other domains like, you know, and certain email accounts. So that's kind of a basic way to do it. But Google takes privacy and safety really seriously. Have there been any, has there been any pushback from the parents? As I've said, I've, I, I run some, you know, software for schools as well. And every once in a while, parents are concerned when kids are signed up for this by a school, but without the parent being informed. Have you, do you have any experience with that? Well, the school should inform the parents. That's the school's job, you know. And, and, and actually, one thing you, I should say, with Google Classroom, which is really cool, you can give parental access. So you can, a lot of schools do this. You can actually add, you've got a special type of account for a parent where they can see the view of the students' work and everything. I've only seen pushback in a couple of ways. Um, number one is when you've got a lot of Microsoft parents at the school. This has happened to me uh, in Washington State. Where it's I can imagine. Microsoft Central. <laughs> it's happened to me at International School of Brussels where there was a bunch of Microsoft parents some other places. So that's one thing. Um, and second thing, certain countries, Germany, Switzerland, where they're super hot on privacy, um, you get pushback from the parents. I've got friends who run schools in Switzerland and they have all kinds of back and forward about, you know, with, about using Google. So I guess there are only two cases. It happens, you know, and you know, if you're going to, you know, if, you, if you're a tech director of a school, you've just got to, you've got to be ready. You, you've got to, any system you put in, any new process, you, you, you've got to have your document ready that you can send to parents if they ask you, you know, because you're always going to get questions about it. 
And what exactly would you include in that document? Or what would you re recommend somebody include in that document when they're kind of saying, I'm going to use this technology with my students for the first time? Yeah, I mean, I think it's links to Google's, Google's privacy policy, Google's you know, safety policy, all that kind of stuff. Just here's a link, you know, this is what's covered, this is what isn't, and then, you know, summarize it at a kind of a high level, really. Nice. Uh, and, and, and let's say things like, for example, if, if you're doing, like I mentioned, and you're restricting incoming and outgoing email for younger jet grades, just put, put that as well so they, they don't worry about it. When you're, you were talking about restricting incoming and outgoing emails, and again, this is something that is an interest to me as well. It's how much information do you need about the kids in order to create these emails in the sense that you need their names tied to the emails or you can, you put in fake names or you maybe yeah, just exactly. A lot of schools use a registration number. They don't even put a name. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Perfect. So there's no personal information at all. So Google gives you that option. Yeah. Okay. And in the classroom, could you get a little more specific about how people are using the classroom? You said you can share a lot of links and files. Um, what are some specific kind of activities that you know of that teachers have been doing within the Google classroom? I mean, just that really. So let's say you've got um, an assessment, you can put it in there. You can, you know, it's kind of like, if you look at Google Classroom, it's kind of like a feed, you know, you, you can put things, you know, more, you can pin announcements at the top, you can pin documents. But um, a specific thing is you can create tests and you can, you can put a, so let's say you've got a test to do, uh, you go with Google Forms, you can create really good quizzes and tests and you can even do self-mark, you know, you can even do self-marking and stuff for certain types of tests. So you could put, they could log on to Classroom and okay, nine o'clock in the morning is a test, they log on. They see, the, they see the test, it's multiple choice or even an essay answer test, doesn't matter. And you can run all that within Google Classroom and, and certain tests you can even grade it automatically. That brings up an interesting question. So let's say they, you create all this cool material in your Google Classroom and I'm thinking more now as a teacher who wants to kind of move online and create their own little, their own business. Yeah. There's, there are two sides to consider for this. First off, you mentioned there's a cost per user. So is the user the teacher, or is the user the student or is it both? There's, there's no cost per user, no. I mean, okay. you've got to have G Suite, but you could just buy a one user license, like I said, and then just invite people on their own Gmail accounts to, to the class. Perfect. So you wouldn't have to pay for every one of those students, those people with the Gmail accounts yeah. that came in there. So yeah. it's only, and you said it was $50 a year? Uh, yeah, it keeps changing, but I think the business version is $50 for the basic one. And, but remember, if, if, you're, if you're a school and working in a school, it's completely free. Perfect. Perfect. And again, thinking as a teacher who's starting a business online, is there a way to charge? I'm, I'm assuming not, but maybe with the business suite in the future, they'll integrate something like this in. Is there a way to charge people for access for, to your classroom? There's no way to put any kind of paywall on your classroom. You'd have to do that separately. So they'd pay you and then you can manually add them and send them the invitation to the Yeah, ex exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not set up for, for, for that kind of you know, commercial uh, mm -hmm. environment. It's normally used within the school. But you know, a lot of businesses use it to share information, not even schools. They use it just as a, as a kind of information, internet information repository. Nice. But it, but it has all the tools and people are kind of familiar with it already because they've used... They've used it, you know, in their own personal life, the, the Google suite. So the interface should yeah, be. Yeah, I mean, schools use it. I mean, honestly, schools love it. Schools absolutely love it. Do you know what percentage of schools? I mean, is there that kind of statistic out there in the I world? Don't, I'd love to find out. I mean, I think um, a lot of schools are using it. So schools, I guess you know what a learning management system is like. You yes, know, LMS. A lot of schools have a big, you know, obviously Moodle's used in higher education, Blackboard, but then you've got mm -hmm. loads of others like Schoology using schools. A lot of schools have like, a learning management system and they're slowly moving to classrooms. Maybe they've turned it on for teachers. They're not forcing it, but they're allowing teachers to use it. And that, I think a lot of schools are doing that, you know, but still using a big, big learning management system. That's actually one of the, 
the software as I run Twidgicate, it's uh, it does what Schoology does, but that's the one where we have about forty thousand teachers and create okay, that kind fantastic. Of no, that's your system, is it? Yeah, I I built that and known it over the years. Um, okay, fantastic. Just like Schoology, it doesn't we haven't it doesn't make any money because when I don't bill for it, and then I found out after I built it that you can't put ads on it because they use it in schools and schools block everything. Every piece of software out there. So it's been using, it's entirely free for any teachers out there. Who want you to you do could it. sell subscriptions. You could sell it as a subscription service to schools. Are. Well, that's it. That's exactly it. But it's just me. So I haven't yeah. had time to do any of that. But we still have built up about 200,000 users over the last eight wow. or nine years. And what's it called again? Twitchicate. T-I-T-W-I-T-U-C-A-T-E. So all listeners here, if you want a free kind of walled, face, walled garden Facebook tool um, that you can use, I don't sell you anything. Uh, you can go and use Twidgicate. It's a, it's a simple system, but people seem to like it. So, Fantastic. Okay. We went over the cost. We went over the tools. Is there yeah. anything else you can talk about it, that Google has that can kind of support teachers outside of the classroom, outside of, outside of Google Classroom and the other tools? What other tools do some of the schools use? You mentioned something about maps and some of the other ones. Yeah, well, I mean, Google Maps and Earth, obviously, for geography teaching and stuff, you know, that's, that's huge. Um, Google Sites, you know, you can use Google Sites to create a free basic website. You know, it's not, not the most amazing CMS, but you can build a my, my, I run the first four years of our business with a Google Site for our <laughs> website. So you, you could do it. Um, now we're on WordPress. We've moved around a little bit. But, uh, you know, I think, I think that's more or less it. I think, um, obviously, it's not connected to education, but, you know, using Google AdWords to promote your business is huge. I mean, that's Google, although it's not really connected. Using Google Analytics for your website, you know, and really all that that's kind of stuff you know about more than me, I guess. Yeah, they're the main things. You know, they're the main things. And, and obviously, using, using Google Docs, it's really great if you want to, you know, you know, normally a teacher will annotate, you know, if, if you, you get an essay answer, they'll annotate it. And a great thing with Google Docs is using the commenting feature. You know, teachers use that when they need to give feedback now uh, when they're using G Suite. So I'd say that's a great thing. You know, you can add a comment uh, that, you know, you, the student can even respond to the comment as well. And that works really well. So there's a history of all the changes kind of as from the first draft to the final draft. If you kind exactly, of, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's a neat idea. I'm actually going to mention that to some of our teachers. Yeah. We're using it as well, because I never thought of it. We use it internally. It's, but it's a great way to give feedback. For, you know, for teachers to give feedback to students, it's, it's really good. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, then, thanks for giving us kind of deep down into what all the tools that Google has for, for teachers to use out there, whether they want to use it within their schools or online. We're going yeah. to take our second break, and we'll be right back with my favorite part of the interview, which is the pop quiz, where we get to know a little bit more about Dan's inner psyche. So, you know, somebody just, he'll give us the first answers exactly whether we want to or not, right? So <laughs> we'll be right back. So we'll be back after the break. And we're back with Dan Taylor from Apps Events and we're my favorite part of the interview. We're going to be finishing up with a pop quiz. So Dan, if you want to stretch out, get ready for it, or you want yeah, just to right, jump right ready to go. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Make us a fall timber. Let's get started. It's going to be five questions. First answer that comes to your mind, there are no wrong answers. Well, there might be, but oh. nobody's given one yet. So we'll get started. Okay, question number one. If you were a gangster, what would your gangster name be? You know, it'd probably be like, I'd probably, I like gangster rap, you know, so it'd probably, it'd probably <laughs> be like Notorious D.A.N. or something like that. You know, some like rap name, I think cool. it'd have to be. <laughs> what, what cartoon character are you most similar to? I don't know. I don't watch a lot of cartoons. Roadrunner, maybe, because he kind of runs around. I often <laughs> run around like a headless chicken, and I should be doing different things. But I've, I've always got a lot of energy, you know? So I think Roadrunner, that's got to be that. Perfect. So your wife's Wiley Coyote, then, kind of the one who oh, yeah, exactly. tries to stop you, right? So yeah. this one's easier. What's your favorite dessert? 
Oh, anything with chocolate in, like chocolate sponge pudding, you know, chocolate mousse. That's a big dispute with me and my wife. You know, I, I like chocolate stuff. She doesn't like chocolate stuff. We're the opposite. My, I, I don't like chocolate. My wife does. But for a while, <laughs> we, one of my businesses, I owned a chocolate factory in the Philippines. Really? So like an, yeah, we had an unlimited supply of chocolate. And I used wow. to I make chocolate, but I, I, I'm, yeah, you got to keep me away from chocolate. Uh oh, that, dangerous. Yeah. Well, who knows if we ever meet up, maybe later in Thailand, I'll bring yeah. you some chocolates. You sure. can try it out. Um, what would they write on your tombstone? <sighs> I have no idea. Is that it? I have no idea. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, hopefully, people would say. I mean, I'm very loyal to my friends, you know, and family. So I think hopefully something like that. Okay. Okay. What's the worst advice you have ever gotten? <sighs> I get a lot of bad advice all the time. <laughs> I mean, I think it's like, I've often, you know, you know, like, you know, when you're doing something entrepreneurial, especially in the beginning, everyone's like, oh, don't do it, don't do it, you know? And that like, and that is the right advice for some people, you know, but for me, it wasn't, you know? And, and, I, and I still, every time I'm doing something new or getting into something, you know, cause you know, when you're an entrepreneur, is that you're always getting into stuff where, you know, you may be leveraging yourself a little bit, you're leveraging your time and, and people are always saying, don't do it. And, and, you know, I think for me, it's usually best just to do it. And so I, 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 I listen to advice. Uh, but you know, to, people have normally been wrong. I think when they've told me not to do things. Nice, nice. So just do it as your kind of business advice for the right yeah, people. Yeah, I mean, try it because nothing's nothing's forever. You know, if it doesn't work out for most people, you can go and get a job again. You know, like it doesn't work out. You know, you got your tail between your legs, but you get on something else. You know, life goes on. Perfect, perfect. And the final question: Where can people find out more about you? Um, Dan at appsevents.com, D-A-N at appsevents.com. I'm on Twitter, Dan Taylor Events, D-A-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R-E-V-E-N-T-S. Um, that's probably a good place. You can find me on Instagram, same, same thing. Uh, I'm not too active on there, but yeah, appsevents.com, you'll see my website. Perfect, perfect. Well, Dan, thanks for coming on the Anomalous Educator podcast. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you Do very you much. Do you want pleasure. to sell thanks. more tickets to your amazing events? Events Frame Event Ticketing has been built to minimize the amount of time it takes to buy a ticket. Result? You sell more tickets. Check out eventsframe.com 